0: I've been wanting to give you guys an update for the last few weeks, but I'm going to do it right now. Um, the kitchen is done. <laughs> the kitchen is done. We have, look at that thing. That is wonderful. It is amazing. It is gorgeous. And not only that, but our center Sunday school rooms are gone. And we have a fellowship hall, people. <laughs> Here we go with a new stage, ready to be able to do worship down there, and the flooring starts this Monday. And I know that he won't accept it, but a big thank you to Nick Ayala, and a big thank you. (laughs) And a great thank you to our brother Ernesto as well, who's been doing all the painting for us here at the church. They have done wonderfully. Not only has there been some exciting things that we have gotten done this month, but God is doing some amazing things in the spirit as we've been attached again to his goal and his mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, after service today, after the final amen, stick around because we need some able-bodied men and women to help Clear out the tables and chairs in the basement because we have new tables and new chairs for our new fellowship hall that are going to be coming in this week. Okay? If anybody needs instructions, you go to Brother Adamola. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn with me to the book of Acts. We are going to be in chapter 10 this morning. We're going to be concentrating on the full chapter, but going to be focusing on verses 34 and 35 for our text. If you haven't received an outline and would like one, please raise your hand. And someone can be able to get you one. If you prefer a digital outline, you can pick up your phone and you can search Bethel Assembly of God in the U Version Bible app. If you're looking to get connected, again, the QR code that is in the seat back in front of you also has all the information readily available so you know everything that is happening here at Bethel. But I want to ask you a question this morning, church. What are some of the boundaries that you have in your life? What are some of the boundaries, the borders, the barriers, and the walls that you have put up yourself? And as you're thinking about that, I'm going to tell you a story. One day, two men appeared before a judge to have settled a dispute. One argued that the other, his neighbor, had moved a boundary marker by five feet and thereby has taken possession of his land. After listening to both arguments and going through some documents, the judge could not determine where the boundary line should be. So he ordered that the five feet be divided equally among the two men. But the first man stood up and he said, Your Honor, I will be the bigger man and let him have it all. To which the neighbor replied, Your Honor, I will be the bigger man and accept all of it. (laughs) It's a little stilly story. But how many people know that similar situations like that turn sour very, very quickly? We see them all the time in the news, like the union strikes that are happening in Los Angeles right now. We see that like events that are happening in the Middle East, a few feet of territory. We see that happening right now with our borders and the refugee crisis. But don't worry, I'm not here to talk politics or foreign policy. I'm here to talk about something that's way more important, and that is making disciples for the kingdom of heaven. And here we don't talk about politics. We talk about the kingdom because that's so much more important, isn't it? So I'll ask you the question again, but I'll ask it a little differently. What are some of the boundaries you have in your Christian walk? Is it watching television or going to the movies or music? You don't want the world to pollute your mind. That's pretty good. Is it your theology or your discipleship? Do you say, I want to be taught this way and grow this way, and the preacher should be speaking about these particular topics? I'll preach on what I please. Thank you. (laughs) Is it your gifts or your giftings? Do you say, I'm not called to be this way, or I'm not called to have the gift of evangelism, so I'll just leave it to somebody else? I have come to find that many of the boundaries that are placed in our lives are not aligned with God's mission for souls. In other words, we are so caught up in the convictions and the boundaries that we have put And we don't want anyone to pop our bubble that we are putting blinders up for a group of people who are unreached and bound to a godless hell. Today, we are going to be talking about a story in where Peter had some of those boundaries. And he had to have a vision that changed his perspective so that a harvest field could be reached but let's get into it acts 10 34 and 35 we are going to be sticking to peter's declaration and revelation throughout this entire story and it goes like this then peter began to speak i now realize how true it is that god does not show favoritism how many people are glad that god doesn't show favoritism But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer? Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for the sweet presence that has been in this place. I thank you that, Jesus, because of your blood, we are now whole. Because of your resurrection, we do not have to taste death. But God, there are plenty of people around this world that do not know you yet. And in this story, in this turning point, when Peter had his vision is when the Gentiles got to really understand what salvation in Christ meant. Help us understand this story as well. And as always, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to respond to your message. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Go away with this, church. The gospel of Jesus breaks boundaries. The gospel of Jesus breaks boundaries. We're talking about the book of Acts this morning. I don't think we've been in Acts yet together. Normally called the Acts of the Apostles, written by Luke. And it's actually just the the second volume. It's a continuation of his gospel message. So much so that people in Bible college stopped calling it the book of Acts and started referring to it as Second Luke in my theology class. (laughs) But it all starts with the continuation of Jesus' ministry through his apostles, through the people that he taught. His examples too, and now he sent them out into the world. Jesus is ascending in Acts 1. But he says, do not leave Jerusalem until you have received power from on high. We know that power to be the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, reminder, church, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about speaking in other languages. You hear me? It's not about tongues. You get tongues. That's great. But the whole point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is to be empowered with the boldness of God in order to be able to reach the loss for Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter, a couple of chapters before, could run scared and deny Jesus, and now he can preach a sermon to 3,000 people about Jesus. It is only through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that that can happen. But Jesus told them that after the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 1.8, it says you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But so far, a couple of chapters before our text, we've only seen sparks of non-Jewish people coming to salvation. We've seen this with Philip after the stoning of Stephen. We've seen it with the Samaritans and with the Ethiopian eunuch. But it it hasn't happened in mass scale. Everybody else just stood in Israel. And our text today is the wide opening and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, or what we would call non-Jewish believers. I think that God has us doing this text on Faith Promise Sunday because it was the entry point for you and I, non-Jewish people, to receive the gospel in mass. Without Acts 10, without Acts 11, we do not get the rest of the book of Acts with Paul and Barnabas and the missionary journeys and the beginnings of everyone getting to know the salvation message of Jesus Christ. And God wants to remind us of that in this text. So remember, we're talking about boundaries this morning and how the gospel of Jesus breaks boundaries. But what are those boundaries? Well, Peter told us when he came to that revelation. And the first one that he said was boundaries of favoritism. Scripture tells us the first thing that Peter understood was that salvation in Christ was for all people. Amen. Men, yeah. Salvation in Christ is for all people. Amen. Acts 10, 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And I'm going to back. I'm going to backtrack into Acts 10, the second part of verse 9 and 16. What God was doing is that he had a two-fold plan. He gave a vision to a man named Cornelius. And then he gave a vision to Peter because both sides needed to understand the revelation in order for God's glory to be opened up. But we're going to concentrate on Peter first. Okay? So, Acts 10, starting in verse 9, it says... Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat surely not lord peter replied i have never eaten anything impure or unclean the voice spoke to him a second time do not call anything impure that god has made clean this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven Peter looked at all the animals in the vision and saw that none of them were kosher. They weren't clean animals. If you look in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, it tells you all the animals that a practicing Jew could be able to eat or not eat. Things that were ceremonially unclean. And for you and I, we don't understand because we love bacon. And we love cheeseburgers. We love all those good things. But to a practicing Jew, his thought was, I don't want to become impure or common. Because to be common and not holy, you cannot have a right relationship with God. You cannot come in and commune with God in an unholy state. So there was a paranoia. And what the Jews did was that they thought that being common was not biblical. Well, if you guys come out to our Wednesday night Bible study, you'll know that being common is actually very biblical. The only time that you were considered holy, or what we would call set apart to God, is when you came and made sacrifices, because that sacrifice was the thing that set you apart and holy. But when you did your common things of the day you were considered common. And it was okay to be common as long as you were clean. Now what happens, because people morph things together in their theology, what they said was, anything that makes me common is unclean but that's not what God's word says. But what happens was, is that they built up a legalism and they made laws over laws in order to be able to stay clean, but they forgot the person that the law was about. It doesn't make sense to be clean if you're not going to worship the person that made you clean and gave you the sacrificial system in the first place. Amen. And also, Jesus already told them that it didn't matter what they ate. In Mark seven 18, we're back in Mark, <laughs> Jesus said this, he was giving something to the Pharisees and the crowd because the Pharisees are like, your disciples are not washing their hands. So they're going to be unclean. They're not supposed to eat that way. And Jesus said, it's not what goes in you that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you. Because church, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is what it says. But Peter and the disciples, they're a little thick in the head. So they're like, what does this mean? And Jesus, this is is what I love, Jesus is as sarcastic as me. Because he says this in Mark 7, 18, are you so dull? Jesus is like, are you dumb, boys? We've been here for a couple of years. And you still haven't gotten it through your head. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In this, Jesus declared all food clean and this was something that Peter had to get through his head so much so that the vision and the statement happened three times that's what the Bible tells us there's something about threes with Peter he denies Jesus three times when Jesus brings him back in he asks him do you love me three times so getting it through his skull Peter had to hear it three times and he still didn't he took the word He accepted it, knowing it was coming from God, but he hadn't understood why yet. Peter has to come to an understanding because a group of unclean men would ask him to go to an unclean house or a non-Jewish household to preach the gospel to unclean people. And how does this apply to you and me? How does this boundary of favoritism, just like Peter had with the kosher food laws, apply to you and me? Well, unfortunately, there's favoritism when we give the gospel to others. It has to be in the right setting, in the way how I envision it in my head. I have to use the most spiritual words so that I might get the best response. Hello? That doesn't happen to anybody else right i'm the only one that's spending time trying to figure out how to be able to say the right words because the biggest thing that i hear from people is pastor i don't know what to say don't worry about it holy spirit will give you the words just pray just pray we want our evangelism to sound a certain way heck we want our appearance to look a certain way to other christians We want our association with others, our discipleship, and our small groups to look godly. But truthfully, what we are saying is is that if it doesn't look like this, I'm blocking it out, even if it's from God. If the people I'm witnessing to don't look a certain way or don't dress a certain way, maybe I can just allow it to be done by somebody else. Folks, I got news for you. The people who are the opposite way of how you like is exactly the people that need Jesus. It's not just people who are homeless on the corner who are peddling. It is not just the people that you're street witnessing to. That angry neighbor needs Jesus. That colleague who is an atheist needs Jesus. That person who gets under your skin and you want to display anger, not righteous anger, but true anger to them. They're the ones that need Jesus most, but you look at them as unclean. But God can save you, but he can't do what you think is impossible. I truly dis. Agree. My God can do more than I can ask or ever imagine. And think about this through the people of Israel was supposed to be the blessing of the entire world. And he started it with Abraham. When first establishing his promise with Abraham in Genesis 12, the Lord says this in verse 3. I'm going to read out of the King James. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curseth those that curse thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Through one family's faith and righteousness would come a kingdom of priests, from the beginning of the establishment of Israel, God had a plan to bring everyone back to him. His plan was to save all the world. And how did he do it? Through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that that plan was accomplished and that the veil was torn of, uh, for God's plan of salvation is not for a people. It is for all people. Just as it says in the book of Romans 10, starting in verse 12, and it says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But let's keep reading. How then? Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If Christ's message has broken barriers to save all, how are we going to send the message to all? Through the preaching of the word here in this church, through the practicing of the Father's love, through the outreaches that we do, and by sending those who are called to go where we cannot to fill the gap. God is speaking to us this morning. And stirring our hearts like he stirred Peter's. And he's reminding us that without this vision and this revelation, how much longer would it have taken to save the Gentiles? How much longer will it have taken to send Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Silas? And what parts of the world would have been closed if Peter still had that same favoritism for the law? Christ's message breaks boundaries. And boundaries of favoritism. That that might be easy. How about this? Boundaries of qualification. Peter says in the same breath that God has broken down qualification barriers that others might have put up. Again, 10, 34, and 35. 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and who does what is right. Those are the qualifications, people. Those who fear God and those who do what is right. But let's break it down further because that wasn't simple enough. Let's keep going. Those who fear God, that word fear in the original language is literally where we get the word phobia from because they had no other word. But it's not a fear as in being afraid. It is a deep reverence for God, for understanding his promises, how powerful he truly is, to fulfill his promises, to create the universe within a second, within a world, and a word. It's more of the Hebrew context that we get from the book of Deuteronomy. It says to show reverence, to venerate, to treat with the utmost obedience. So whenever you see in the Old Testament, it says, and the people feared the Lord, it meant they respected him and they bowed their heads in worship. And the one who does what is right, or what we would call a righteous person, it's this whole flow of concerning the way in which a man or a woman may attain the approval of God. If you are a righteous person, then you are obedient to the statutes and the law that God has given you. That is what it means. That is the qualifications to fear God and to do what is right according to his word. That means that surrender and obedience keep you attached. Well, people love surrender. They hate obedience. Hmm. But to obey is better than to sacrifice. That's what the Bible tells us. And Cornelius, the person who Peter is going to, fits this description. In Acts 10, verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as an Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to god regularly so he was devout he prayed he followed god devout is another word for righteous and he was seeking the face of god and he understood that he needed to give to the poor take care of orphans and widows that is the true faith and not only does he fit the description but then he gets an endorsement By God himself in a vision. It says one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. And he saw distinctively an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and he said, what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Do you know what's not in those qualifications? How loud and how many times you pray. You know what's not in those qualifications? What denomination you're a part of. You know what's not a part of those qualifications? Is it called the Eucharist or is it called communion? Or do we pass it out in baskets or do we serve it on a table? None of that matters. Fear God and obey his law. That is what it means. Because convictions And preferences, how to do church or how you shape your walk with God will never qualify you for salvation. It is works. Works is what you do after you're saved. It doesn't get you in. These barriers sound more like the Pharisees. And when we are obedient to those barriers in our head, we sound more like the Pharisees. The same people that Jesus rebuked. And he did it very, very eloquently. In Matthew 23, 23 to 24, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat. But swallow a camel. In another point in that chapter, he calls them whitewashed tombs, things that look beautiful on the outside but are full of dead things. When you're not connected to the vine and you're just a branch on the ground, you're a dead thing. You knew the taste of the sap, so you can be able to say it very, very clearly, but it doesn't mean that you're living. The only time that you're a living branch is when you're connected to the source. What the Pharisees did was make extra stipulations or boundaries in order to be able to get to God. You have to look a certain way. You have to pray a certain way. You have to be this spiritual. You should tithe this much. You should, you should give of your time. You should overwork yourself. That doesn't happen in other churches, hello? (coughs) May we never fall into the same trap here at Bethel. May we understand that what we're doing is for Christ and Christ alone because he saved us. And it's a motivation and a goal now to save as many people as possible. So Cornelius, he qualifies, but he was missing one thing. He was doing everything that a Jew should do, but he was missing one thing. And the vision says, do me a favor, go get Pete. (laughs) He's over by the seashore because Pete needs to give you a message. Acts 10, 5 and 6. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner who is at the sea. Cornelius, his household, and his friends needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Cornelius needed someone to take the message to him. It couldn't just be them. It needed to come from Peter. When I think of boundaries of qualification, I think of the prodigal son. It's a story that all of us uh, can be able to know. Do we have that photo up there? Did I put it in there? That's an amazing scene. The young man who spent all his dad's money, who spent all his resources, and are now eating in the pen of pigs, says, I am not worthy, I am not deserving, but maybe my father will accept me as a slave. And he goes back home scared and ashamed of the rejection. But what does the father do? He runs to him. And in the middle of his son's confession, he says, put new clothes on him. Get him a ring and put it on his finger. Get the barbecue going. Slay the fatted calf. We have to have a celebration because my son was lost and now he is found. There were no boundaries or borders or embarrassment that the father would have to suffer because the only thing that mattered is that his son was saved. And church men and women all over the world are dealing with such a bigger hell on earth than you and me will never know. I know stories of missionaries, stories that have so much trauma, like women and children being human trafficked and prostituted. I know families with hearts of stone towards the gospel in Europe because their society is so much more postmodern that they feel that they don't need God. They have technology and science and reason and resource, and they need Jesus to knock on their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. There are people who believe more that the stone and the wood that they worship will save them. These people need the message of Jesus Christ. They need people committed and commissioned, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and fire and that are passionate about their needs rather than their own priority. But how will they hear? unless someone is sent. We will send them, will we? Can we send them? Yes, we can, because we are called and commissioned to do so. Let's break down every wall so that Israel And Palestine, and Jordan, and Turkey, and Iraq, and Iran have such a great revival in them because they finally know the truth and the truth has set them free in Jesus Christ may we pray may we go and may we give so that every man woman, and child every young person who is bound to a godless hell will declare one day that Jesus Christ is Lord do you believe that this morning But it only happens if we pray, if we go, and if we give. I received a text message while I was preaching. It was a, a friend of mine. His name is Jason. He's a missionary. He's been itinerating for the last three years. I said, Jason, I, I can't help you. I met him in May. I said, I can't help you yet, but I know that God is going to provide you with a way. He texted me today and he said, uh, Pastor Thomas, I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, I leave next month to Japan. And I know that where I am going, I am not welcome, but God is able. We can send them. We can send them. We can bless them and send them out full of the Holy Spirit and fire so that souls that we may never meet be in heaven with us. Worship team, can you come? The gospel of Jesus breaks barriers. It breaks boundaries. It breaks walls. And we've talked about the boundaries of qualification that we would put. We talked about the boundaries of favoritism, how God doesn't have any. He's no respecter of persons. And he will go to any lengths to be able to reach anyone. the biggest boundary that I saw in here that would have hindered any person was the boundary of experience. And some people might be confused. But the final boundary or barrier that God broke was to give Cornelius' household the same experience that happened in the upper room. Acts 10 44 to 48 after peter is speaking and he's preaching the message of jesus it says while peter was still speaking these words the holy spirit came on all who heard the message how many people all how many people all the uncircumcised believers or the jewish believers who had come with peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had even been poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter, to stay with them a few days. Remember, Peter had to come to a revelation in the middle of the text, that God is no respecter of persons. We've already talked about that. But we don't know about the people who were with him, if they would have had the same revelation, or if they would have gave the same credit. They might have thought, well, yeah, they can receive the message of Christ, but they haven't received our experience. They weren't like the 120 of us or the 3,000 of us who were there on that day where all of us got saved. We spoke in tongues. We spoke in different languages. That was a great revival service. And God said, no, no. God has Peter, the same one who preached in Acts 2, preach in this house. He fills everyone with the same spirit. They all spoke in tongues and prophesied another language, giving God's praises. And all the Jewish believers at that point had a flashback moment. And Peter gave the orders like on Pentecost. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. What did Peter say back then? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ it was the same experience you want to know why because God when he starts something he will always start it his way which is the best way every time that you and I try to start something and it doesn't come from God it will fail God's word is eternal it will never fail there will never be any complacency so When the new thing has to come and he says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, he does the same experience in Acts 2 that he does in Acts 10 so that there will never be any favoritism, any qualification needs. They will never say we don't have the same experience. And though we might all have received salvation in a different way in this church or in a different place in this church, the healing that comes with salvation in Jesus Christ is the same. You were healed, you were restored, you are no longer broken because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It reminds me of the book of Joel. We often quote him in Pentecostal churches. In 2, 28 through 29, this says, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. What does it say? All people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit In those days hallelujah skip down to verse 32 with me because this is where Paul is quoting in the book of Romans and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and just as Peter and the Apostles will call to go to Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and the utter ends of the earth. So you and I are called to be a light to the whole world, starting in Newark and in Essex County and New Jersey and the States and all through the globe through missions and evangelism. And Isaiah talked about this mission being accomplished. In the last chapter in Isaiah 66, starting in verse 18, he says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and all tongues and they shall come and see my glory and I will put a sign on them among them and, the, and send them survivors from them to the nations and then he starts naming off all of the nations that were separated during the time of Noah during the time of the great scattering in Babel from Tarshish to put Salute to, to Meshech, to Tubal, to Chavan, to the distant coastlands that neither have heard of my fame nor seen my glory. And they will declare my glory among the nations. You are all a part of that prophecy. You are all a part of that prophecy. You call on the name of the Lord and you have seen his glory. The Holy Spirit falling on Cornelius' household is the beginning of you and I, non-Jewish people, having the same privileges as God's holy chosen people, Israel. Do you understand, church? Do you understand our mission? Our mission is to reach people, to help them become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But how can they call In the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I believe that God is trying to teach us something this morning. We say that God is the God of the impossible, but there are a lot of questions and boundaries that we put up after we say that God is the God of the impossible. Don't put a comma or God put a period God can do the impossible full stop